Mamma Mia subscribers, you've been asking and we've been listening. Now you can get all of your exclusive subscriber audio on Apple Podcasts. That includes everything from bonus episodes of your favourite pods to exclusive segments to all of our audio series. To link your Mamma Mia subscription to Apple Podcasts, open the Mamma Mia Out Loud page in your Apple Podcasts app and follow the prompts or head to help.mamamia.com.au. Hi, I'm Grace Brennan and this is my Lady Startup story. Lady Startup is a movement that helps women launch and grow their own businesses, big or small, well-established or brand new. If it was founded or co-founded by a woman, it's a Lady Startup. And this is Lady Startup Stories, a podcast where female entrepreneurs answer nosy questions from me, Mia Friedman, about the fist-pumping moments when you're winning and the deep troughs of pain when things go wrong. Not many female founders can say their businesses started with a drought, but there's one who can, and her name is Grace Brennan. You might not know her name, but chances are you do know the movement that she started. It's called Buy From The Bush. Yes, as in that Instagram page that you hopefully follow and that profiles amazing businesses in regional Australia. That was started by Grace, a mum of four from Warren in New South Wales, who by October last year had had enough of watching her friends and her family in the towns that she visited be swallowed up by drought. So she decided to do something. And what she did changed the lives of thousands of people, most of them women actually. In the first four months of its existence, Buy From The Bush generated $5 million worth of revenue for the businesses that were profiled on the Instagram page that Grace set up. And it just kept growing. So how does a movement become a business? And how does it continue to change lives? Because it really does. Grace joins me from Warren in New South Wales to tell me all about it. Grace, you're not even a country girl. You are a city girl. What are you doing in the bush? I know. (laughs) Great question. I fell in love with a farmer, like so many women do. Where did you meet your farmer? At school. We were 14. He may have been 15. I'm not sure. But it was on Halloween and he threw an egg at me and I caught it. I threw it back into the darkness and then that was it. We fell in love. So he was at boarding school and I lived across the road. We used to play in the afternoons and then it just, yeah, grew into the fellow that I was moving to the bush for. So you've been together since you were a teenager? Yeah. When did you first learn about what a drought's like to live through? Yeah, well, the last few years. When I moved out here, we had the opposite. We had a flood, you know. Kind of first, we got married, we went on our honeymoon, we got back, we'd grown like the biggest crops that the farm had ever seen. And then um, at harvest time, at this time of year, it started raining and it didn't stop. So I had that experience of crops being wiped out. But then drought's a bit different because it's this gradual creeping in of stress and anxiety. And everyone's used to drought. I mean, I think farmers and the agricultural industry and, and small rural communities are really used to just going through these cycles of uncertainty, but knowing they come out the other side and they're geared towards it, you know, they've planned for it. It's not like it takes them by surprise, but this one in particular went on and on and on. And, you know, if you're in Queensland or in South Australia, some people are still going through it. For us, it rained earlier this year, but basically last year was about as bad as it got in terms of the drought and we hadn't had a good rainfall for a few years. And what were you seeing in the women and the businesses around you, the people that you knew? 
That's the thing because when we hear about drought, you so often you think of men in paddocks and, and dying sheep and all of those kind of cliched images. But what was also happening was that those men come back into the household and bring with them a lot of stress and a lot of fear and women hold on to that and kind of take on the responsibility of keeping households light and positive and ploughing on. And, and then there's also this added dynamic of whatever they're working in outside of the farm, if they've got employment or if they've got a small business themselves or a hobby or a side hustle, that suddenly takes on great importance and the income that they might potentially generate from those side businesses becomes like what was supplementary income becomes primary income. And, you know, for people who are teachers, they might take up extra hours or people return from maternity leave early because their husbands are out of work. Men go off searching for work. So they travel, you know, look for hours on machinery or to acquire new clients. And women in rural communities are left kind of hustling, hustling and doing all sorts of things through those lean times to try and keep households afloat and I suppose offset the stress of their farming business. So there's a lot happening and and small businesses, small bricks and mortar stores are trying to remain open, but like foot traffic just dries up because they're relying on cash flow from farming communities and that's not happening. They stop going to the trade fairs to buy new wares so that the stock gets old, so locals don't come in. There's kind of this it just piles on and there's a lot of fear about how they're going to survive through, you know, the next month or the next day even. So that was kind of happening at a micro level in my community but also across Australia in these drought-affected communities. And were you a small business owner yourself? I had an online business, an employment platform connecting farmers with agricultural job seekers. So it was a startup. I was but not in the same way that I view some of the businesses that I support through Bike in the Bush because you know, they were turning up every day and opening their doors and sometimes not getting a customer. I was in that startup headspace of, you know, investing everything in this online business and trying to make it work. And of course, drought affected my business quite dramatically because often at harvest time, people need lots of labour. So we were kind of matching up that fluid need of labour in agriculture and that dried up. So it affected me, but I suppose this idea wasn't about supporting a startup business like mine. It was more about connecting these incredibly beautiful businesses and boutiques and people were making jewellery and art and all sorts of things that were on offer in the bush. And I just wanted to connect them to city audiences and kind of make that direct line between customer and business. One thing that a lot of women struggle with when they start a business, and you weren't starting a business, you were starting a social movement really, is the idea that they need permission. What was the moment where you said to yourself, I'm going to do this? Like, do you remember that day? I do remember the day because I wasn't a conscious thought to let myself do it. I literally just sat at the kitchen bench. I started writing a letter actually because I just heard this radio interview between Scott Morrison and a journalist and it was about the drought and it was one of those really tense kind of, you know, they were butting heads. It was quite an aggressive interview and journalists were saying, you know, you're not doing anything about drought and Scott Morrison was saying, we are doing something, look at these numbers, we're we're giving this much funding here and that much funding there. But as a person sitting at home in their kitchen watching their friends suffer through drought, there was something kind of critical being missed in that interview and it was that lived experience. It was not so much about funding packages but it was about let's start talking about what households are going through and what families are going through and why should people outside of rural communities care about what the drought is doing. So I started writing this letter and um, I didn't know who it was to. It was kind of trying to tell the story to somebody in the city who might not get it about what we were living through. And then I, at a moment I thought, what is this letter? Like what am I asking for? What do we need? How can we kind of engage people in the city? So I 
shut the computer, went into Canva, created a logo and, and created an Instagram account and then started to like bump into people in the street and say, do you think I could share your earrings on this Instagram page? I've got this idea for an Instagram page called Black in the Bush. Like so nervously, it was so awkward. But at the same time, there was something driving me forward, which was that there was so much at stake and there was no risk in failure because things were as bad as they got. It was worth having a crack. So it sounds like you had imposter syndrome, but just push through it. It's so funny because I suffer that in a commercial context a lot, but because I had no skin in the game, because I wasn't selling my own business, I was selling on behalf of others, I just didn't care. There was nothing holding me back from telling this beautiful story about incredible women in the bush doing amazing things and asking people in the city to engage in that and support drought-affected communities. It turned out that there was someone else doing something similar. Tell me the story about that and how that went down. I created the Instagram page, Buy From The Bush, and I had got the idea from a friend of mine who was doing a Kris Kringle theme. And she was buying from the bush for her family, Kris Kringle, and I just thought it was the best idea and I thought everybody should be doing it. So I created this Instagram account. And a few days later, you know, the Instagram account had started to pick up speed. So I went to Facebook. I thought I'd better get a Facebook account. And I created Buy From The Bush. And then a few days after that, I got a message from a fellow who had a Facebook account called Buy From The Bush. He said, you know, you're going to have to close your account because this is really confusing for my followers. And it was a bit of a different idea. I think it was a group and they, I'm not quite sure they shared things. Usually that would paralyze me. I think, oh my God, I'm, I'm stepping on his toes. I should get out of this. But there was just something that made me feel that the stakes were too high. And what he was doing and what I was doing, essentially it was the same thing. We wanted to connect bush businesses with new audiences and new customers. So there was no harm in it. So I just said to him, look, I'm sorry, but the stakes are too high. I've got 17,000 followers and I, I want to keep going with it. So it was that risk of being a bit unpopular, which I would never usually take. But in this case, I was willing to. And also confrontation. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The part where you got 17,000 followers, how did that happen? I think it was just lots of things, I think. It was really good timing and I I think there was a really strong appetite in the city to help these drought-affected communities in a really practical way and it was just enabling that in a simple formula, like here's a beautiful handbag, if you like it, buy it and you will be supporting this business owner in Walgett, New South Wales, and when you support her, you also support the local post office. And, you know, it was just a clear message. And also I was curating the page quite a lot to trying to show interesting, quirky, engaging content and allowing people to kind of get behind it. So, yeah, it just grew. Do you remember the first time you thought, oh, this is getting traction? I mean, I thought traction was 100 followers. You know, in a way, I thought that Life in the Bush would be for my friends and family to get behind our local businesses. And then I think we had 10,000 followers in a week. So it was just crazy from the start. And again, like I had to, because of what I thought it would be and what it became very quickly, I had to make these kind of conscious decisions along the way. Like I got a phone call from a radio host asking for an interview. And it was that moment where you think, do I have to do that? Do I really have to like speak on behalf of this idea? I thought I could be anonymous behind an Instagram page, you know, stepping into that and having to grow it as much as I possibly could because I knew that making noise would lead to greater impact. So I I was aware that something bigger than what I thought it would be was happening really early on. Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. And in case you missed it, we dropped a brand new stretching collection that can be used to improve mobility and bookend your favourite sweat sessions. Mamma Mia subscribers get unlimited access to Move, 
and we drop new workouts every single week. If you're on the hunt for movement that makes you feel good, head to move.mamamia.com.au and use the code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. Where were you at with your life? You had three little kids. How old were they? Seven, six and four maybe and pregnant with with another one. Yeah, so I had actually wound back my work from AgDraft, my previous startup, thinking, okay, now is the time I'm going to take a break from that and focus on family and then this happened. How much time were you spending every day? I would say the best part of 10 hours. You know, like I'd get the kids off in the morning and then sit at my kitchen bench and work through till midnight in amongst feeding them and that kind of thing. <laughs> Making sure they stayed alive. Yeah, yeah. Looking back, what were some of the mistakes you made in those early days and weeks and months? I don't look back in that way. This whole project has been about progress and not perfection. There are things that were quite rough about it and it didn't matter. Because, And again, it wasn't a commercial project at, at start, so I didn't need it to be perfect. I just needed impact. And all my decisions were geared around like what is going to grow the platform the most as opposed to, you know, sometimes I think if you're building a business, you have to think more strategically than that. But this was about building a platform. And so the reach really mattered and that's what I was working for. And that meant doing a lot of PR and a lot of, you know, just saying yes to everything. And along the way, I'm sure I got some messages wrong or I'm sure the customer service element of getting back to people and this community of businesses became so strong and so lovely. And I was leaving people out along the way because, you know, I had told them to hashtag buy from the bush and tag buy from the bush. But I could only really manage what I could manage. And Millie, who was helping me, like scout for businesses. And so there were, I'm sure there are people out there going, that bitch did not feature my business in that <laughs> whole year. So all of that, like, you know, but I just am not, I'm not going to spend time on sweating the small stuff because I actually think what we set out to achieve, we achieved in a really big way and told the story about drought and the bush and connected city and country in a way that's still growing and kind of reshaping itself as we go. So I think it's worth just like head down and keep going at this stage. <laughs> I love that. You referred to it as in past tense, what you achieved. When did the business become a business and not just a voluntary social movement? In the last week. So a couple of things happened. Stay in the Bush, which is our kind of sister page, which is a directory of rural accommodation, was a Instagram page and ticking along. But in the international lockdown of COVID, travel restrictions, And with the lifting of that original domestic lockdown, I thought there was a great opportunity to kind of ramp up Stay in the Bush. And I decided to launch a website, which was a subscription model for accommodation offerings in rural Australia to, they can subscribe to be listed on Stay in the Bush. So that was kind of a first step towards, okay, this, I can't do this one for free. So if you're going to want to be part of Stay in the Bush, you've got to pay a subscription. And it was trying to leverage that domestic travel opportunity. And then more recently, as in a week ago, we just launched a shoppable website, a marketplace for Buy From The Bush in partnership with PayPal. So that is the big transition towards a commercial organisation and trying to generate revenue to keep this thing growing and, and building the brand. Tell me about that transition because when you start something with a view to supporting other people, which is what you've done, you started a social movement you know, and it's very altruistic and you go in just wanting to be helpful and then you realise you're actually spending 10 hours a day, seven days a week and it's not sustainable. 
did you struggle with, you know, is it ethical to make money out of this just because it's such a female thing to do? Mm, It's gross. I find it gross. From the start, I really believe that what I want from this and what Millie, who helps me, wants from this is for rural communities to raise them up in the eyes of people in the city so that we're not just talking about the bush when there's a crisis. So we can talk about them in a really positive, nuanced, diverse way, which is how I see rural communities. So we're not going to do that through charity. And I got this message from a fashion designer in Boroa. It's Castleton Co., if anybody wants to look her up. But she wrote to me and said, you know, our community won't survive on charity. It won't survive on, on sausage sizzles but it will survive on good business. And she put words to, you know, what I believe. And so we toyed with the idea of a not-for-profit and I've spoken to government ministers and I just thought, no, this is a business. There's commercial value here and there's commercial appeal for what the bush is producing. So let's not make it a charity. Let's put some kind of infrastructure behind it and have a crack and we might fail. But I think along the way, these businesses will connect with customers for life. What is the business model? How did you come up with it? Um, it's a commission-based model. So we get a cut on sales on the marketplace. And at this stage, subscription for the first year is free, but depending on how well we do, <laughs> will depend on um, what that price point is going forward. But if I'm honest, if I could just get paid a whole heap to do this without having to have a business model or a pricing model, that would be my dream. If I hadn't had the experience of working in AgDraft, I think I'd be a little bit more naive and a little bit more okay with this blowing out to kind of two or three years without income and just enjoying the ride. But I've just come out of that running lean and investing everything back into the business. And I know that our family can't afford that, but I also don't think it's the right thing to buy from the bush. Like I actually think if it's going to achieve what I want it to achieve, it needs to be revenue generating and self-sustainable. So I'm pretty comfortable and okay with that. But yeah, it is you know, the businesses I'm supporting are ultimately now my paying customers because I'm it's them I take the commission off. So the only way I can really justify it is to deliver such value that there's no cringe there, you know. Mm. And how do you do that? Well, working bloody hard to get the brand of Bike in the Bush in front of anyone I possibly can so that they're going to the marketplace to support those small businesses. I mean, at the moment, the businesses have, you know, experienced like a 300% upswing in their revenue when I feature them on our social media page. So if we can generate three times the sales, then it's doing its job, you know. I want to read a bit of a brag sheet because you're too humble to do it. Buy from the bush in the first four months, you hit the following milestones. $5 million of revenue was generated in the first four months for businesses featured on your page. 20% of businesses employed new staff as a direct result of Buy From The Bush. Over 40% of businesses started shipping interstate. 19% started shipping internationally. 96% of business owners on the Buy For The Bush page are women. And 98% of business owners said Buy From The Bush improved their quality of life, not just their business. And that really speaks to how inextricably linked people are to their businesses as founders and co-founders always, but particularly in the bush, there's like that real inextricable link during tough times and also during not tough times. Are they pinch yourself kind of numbers for you to think about? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. It makes me swell. Like my heart swells when I hear you reading that because who'd have thought it? (laughs) And yet, you know, deep down inside I did. I think I knew that this could be what it is. 
when you talk about impact, I mean, that's some extraordinary impact that you've made, Grace, on a whole lot of people who were doing it really, really tough. It is incredible impact. I just challenge, like, I think they're doing it for themselves. Like what they have done, these business owners to leverage the opportunity of Buy From The Bush is so inspiring. Like the way that they started really investing in socials in a way that they hadn't and creating, like they rebranded, they created new products. They got a one kind of whiff of, okay, this is something and we're going to make it something really big. And so, you know, part of it is me creating an Instagram page, but part of it is people in the bush just loving this new audience and making them want to stay with them. And it's really inspiring to watch, actually. Those numbers are so impressive. Can you tell me a couple of stories of women to illustrate some of those numbers, transformations that you saw in Buy From The Bush businesses after being featured on your page? I just got a message a couple of days ago. This is a bit of an unusual one, but she wrote to me, the business is Wattle and Twine in Queensland. Um, she runs a business which actually on sells beautiful things made by rural women. So all sorts of gorgeous things. And she'd been doing it for a while. And she said that in over the last year, Bike from the Bush had just, you know, opened up her business so much and she, her, the revenue she generated was significant to the extent that she had just, she sent me this photo of a bulldozer arriving on the farm. She had been able to pay for the bulldozer for her farming husband. She thought the money was going to go to a dream kitchen, but actually she'd invested in the bulldozer on their farming property, which obviously she's a partner in also. But to me, there's such incredible symbolism in that because basically the, the economic downturn from farming meant that he couldn't afford the dozer, but her business could. But also that idea that it, she's contributing in a way, because it's so often out here. I heard from another boutique owner who said her father-in-law was starting to relate to her in a different way since Buy From The Bush because she'd run this incredible boutique and he'd always thought it was this kind of nice, fluffy, you know, thing that she just did to keep herself occupied. Like a little lady hobby. It's so nice that you run that shop in town. But he was seeing the dollars generated and the respect that, you know, she has a gift for it, this particular woman. And she said it had changed their relationship. But that idea that it's reshaping the female contribution in rural communities is astounding and I think there's room for more growth and and just lovely stories about women at the kitchen table crying as the pings went off on their phone as they got sales and sold out of their first fashion line or and in amongst really shitty circumstances elsewhere. So and as so many women have told and I shouldn't just say women because it's not all women but so many people have told me it gave us something else to talk about out here like everybody will be able to relate to this now in the context of COVID that it's so easy to dwell in the negative and the uncertainty and the weight of it all. And suddenly there was an injection of hope and cash flow and employment and all of these lovely things that makes you be able to talk about other things. That is really important. And it not just in times of crisis, but always. I love what you said about it changes the narrative, it changes the conversation. So now when you're talking about buy from the bush, it's not just a charity thing. It's like because there's great stuff and here it's turned into discovery rather than just altruism. Absolutely. I hope so. Yeah. All right. I have five fast questions for you. What piece of software or app is something that helps you the most in your business? Instagram. We've really been using Instagram as our storytelling mechanism from the start and I love what it does. Has the algorithm been kind to you? I mean, it was because we grew so quickly. I don't know whether it still is. We have now an engaged following. 
so it's still doing incredible things for us. But I like the mechanism rather than just what it's doing for Bike from the Bush. Like I like the idea that you can kind of curate this beautiful gallery of what's on offer in a way that on other platforms it's messier and this is just, you know, come and enjoy and invest. <laughs> With four kids, what's your morning routine look like? Pretty hectic, I imagine. Yeah, but I do. I've been, I've got a nanny called Amber who comes and picks up the kids at seven and takes them about 20 k's to the bus stop and then I get to work. I have my six-month-old August and she hangs around on the floor while I get to work and um, <laughs> every day is different but that's about what I, you know, breakfast and baby and headache, usually a headache. Funny enough. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're dehydrated. You've got to drink more water. I am so dehydrated. Yeah, I, I think we mostly are. Yeah, I have been for 49 years. <laughs> What's a time when you've been in a deep trough of pain and, you know, it's been a really difficult time and how have you pulled yourself out of it? I'm not prone to troughs, fortunately, but I will say that it's more of the grind. For me, it's the grind that I have to pull myself out of. So, like, initially it was all adrenaline, but you know, as it wears on and as you try and create a business that's going to last, it's the getting out of bed and knowing you are going to be nonstop until you get back into bed and trying to find the moments of joy throughout the day. Yeah. Because you had a baby in the middle of all this. We kind of glossed over that. But how did that set you back or didn't it? Maybe it did. Maybe it did. Maybe I'd be like. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> well, maybe I'd be more effective if I No, but I just, it's been lovely. It was a, it was this weird time where like I had this week of emails and phone calls, which probably every business owner, I mean, you would have, I can't even imagine the like blows you got when you thought COVID hit and you thought, what is my business? Now? Like, what is this? What is happening? And all these opportunities were falling through yeah. the cracks. And But it was just before I had August. And so I could go, okay, they're all off the table. I'm just going to have this baby and enjoy it. And that lasted a few weeks and then I got back into it again. But it was delicious, actually. It gives you a real singular focus, doesn't it? It's like, well, it actually doesn't matter what else is happening because I've got a human (laughs) coming out of my body. (laughs) Exactly. And I have to keep that human alive. Exactly, yeah. What part of your job do you like the least? Tech, like the fact that it's constant when you run an online business that, you know, I, I would like to... Just walk out the door and lock a door in the evening and go home to a different space. And the fact that you can't get it out of your head ever when you get a salary and paid by somebody else, I think you can more so, not always, but more so. That's probably what I hate the most. What did you build your store on? What platform? Um, Marketplacer, which is an Aussie tech company. and So they allow you to curate a whole lot of different products, does it, from different businesses? Exactly. It's like a, um, Amazon, eBay, Etsy. It's a yeah. marketplace for lots of bush businesses. It's so funny because I've got to learn. I've built this marketplace and now I need to learn about marketplaces. I'm such a novice. And just in the last week, learning what people add to their cart in a market, because I've been heavily curating the Instagram feed, but a marketplace is a bit like a grocery aisle and, and weird stuff gets popped in the trolley along the way. And so it's great for me. And I think I'm going to be on a really steep learning curve as I learn this, this business model. And as you observe customer behaviour, what have, what surprised you about what people pop in their trolley? Well, I can, like, I look at some of the orders and go, you did not come here to buy that. Like, you have <laughs> definitely just seen that oven mitt and thought, I'm going to get that oven mitt for the auntie or something, you know, that which I love. Yeah. I love it because it's what probably boutique owners have known 
forever. You know, it's instinctive, I think. And the, the, I'm so inspired by people who curate this incredible shop front. As you browse around, you get this great joy. And so that's what I want to do online. But baby steps, I think at the moment, I'm really happy with it, but I can see so much I want to do to it already. And I imagine you have a dropship model, so you don't hold any stock. You don't have to outlay no, for any stock. Right. So the, the retailer is responsible for sending it out to the customer. You're just the sort of the portal Absolutely. where they discover stuff, the customer discovers stuff. Exactly. And you can shop. Yeah. I mean, what I want to do through this marketplace is not just have it be a shopping platform, but have it be a bit of a storytelling platform. So, you know, for people who can't do the road trip out West, I want to take you on a bit of a trip around Walgett and show you what's there. Or I want you to feel like you've ducked into a local store. And at the moment, there's like a Meet the Maker page where you can meet some of the makers and creators and, you know, find out a little bit more about them. I'm going to build that out in terms of the retail stores. That is the part that excites me. So I'll hopefully be able to grow that out in time when I get a deep breath and a minute. <laughs> Grace, just finally, Christmas is coming up. A lot of people aren't going to be able to see their family. It's been a really hard year. They should go to buy from the bush, right, and support Australian businesses in rural areas. I would love them to go to buy from the bush. You will discover beautiful things that you didn't go there for and you didn't know existed, but um, I think that you will not regret it and that's what we want to be we want to be super eclectic so it's that idea that you can go to one place and find something for your mum and your dad and your kids and when you shop here you know somebody will probably be I mean definitely be thrilled and doing a dance on the other end of that website but also like maybe hiring somebody locally going to the local post office which is a franchise and supporting that family also buying coffee shop in a local small town. And for me, it's crisis-proofing rural communities so that when we have the next drought or the next bushfire, these businesses, are they can afford to go through a downturn and survive it and, and get to the other side. So, yes, please support Life in the Bush. <laughs> what an extraordinarily impressive I was going to say young woman. Everyone seems young to me now. What an amazing woman. I mean, the parallels in... Our stories in terms of me starting Lady Startup and her starting Buy From The Bush. But my main takeaway, well, I had a few, but my main takeaway is actually something that you didn't even hear. It's something that happened before the show, which is that we started recording that interview and Grace had asked her husband to be home at a certain time so he could hold the baby, baby August, who's six months, while she spoke to me. And for whatever reason, oh, I know, he had to be on harvest. That probably is the wrong terminology, but he had to harvest something and he wasn't home basically. So we started the interview with the baby on her lap and then the baby was making some noise. So she said, I'm just going to put the baby in her bouncer. So she put the baby in the bouncer and if you know babies, they really know when they're meant to be quiet and they then are the opposite of quiet. So the baby was just like coughing and gah, 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 gurgle, gurgle, babble, babble. I had to stop the interview and I had to say, because at first I was like, it's going to be fine. I'll just say at the start of the interview, hey, if you hear a little bit of noises in the background, it's just baby August. This is how we roll when we're lady startups and we've got to balance work with family. But then it just got to the point where you actually couldn't hear her talk and I couldn't concentrate and Lord knows she couldn't concentrate. And so I said, hey, let's just pause for a second. And she said, look, I'll hand the baby off. Just give me a second. And I went, okay. And she was apologizing. And I'm like, don't apologize. It's fine. 
and then she takes her headphones off and picks up the baby and races out the door. And then after a few minutes, she comes back with the baby and I just was laughing. And she's like, I don't know where I thought I was going. I'm in the middle of nowhere and there's no one else here. And so she said, I'll try putting the baby on the boob. Are you okay with a bit of nip? And I'm like, girlfriend, I've breastfed three children and also hello. And so she tried and, of course, August did not want to be about that. And then she tried giving August a bottle and August was just not having any of it. So I said, look, let's just reschedule for half an hour. I'm not going anywhere. I'll stay. And so she called after about 15 minutes and just went, he's back, he's back. I can do it. I can do it. And so she sat down and she's like, okay, where did we get to? And I went, no, we're going to start again. And she's like, oh, good, 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 because that was shit. (laughs) And I'm like, it wasn't shit, but it's going to be better. And it was, and not that it was bad at first, but I just thought that is the insight. That was my takeaway because so often when we drop the ball and we drop the balls, all of the balls that we're juggling as women and as lady startups or as just women really, some of the people listening to this won't have a business but will also be dropping balls, we think everyone has their shit together but us. And so it's like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. And I had to say to her, you know what? This is just the stuff of life. And sometimes knowing that other people are going through it as well makes it easier when it happens to us, which it invariably does. So that's my takeaway. I have some news. We are launching a new course this month. I have been very busy with the Lady Startup team recording and compiling a new course. It's taken us about a year to put together. And we did it in response to you because we kept hearing from women I really need a course to help me grow as a business. I've already launched, so the activation plan and the Kickstarter plan is not for me, but I need to grow my business. I need help with social media. I need help with finding new revenue streams. I need to make my website work better. I need to build an email list, and I just don't know how. Introducing the Rocket Plan, because if there is one thing that 2020 has taught us, it's that all bets are off. And we know that the businesses that have really survived and thrived this year really had a strong digital game, either before the pandemic or they were able to pivot towards online during it. So in this brand new course, I'm going to teach you how to leverage selling online so that you can come out better and stronger with a plan in place for the next 12 months of your business and beyond. As I said, it's the first time we're running this course and we don't know when we'll run it next. And I am going to put a cap on the number of businesses I accept into the course because I want to make sure that the group mentoring sessions with me and everything we do is as good as it possibly can be for the students I'm teaching. So get your name on the wait list so that you're ready to put your name down as soon as the doors open. You don't want to miss out if you want to grow your business in 2021 and beyond. Go to ladystartup.com.au and put a rocket up your business. Now it's time for our Lady Startup listener pitch before we go. It is expensive to advertise, we know that. So we will be surfacing some great businesses on the show, founded or co-founded by women that you may want to support. Today's comes from Stephanie, who founded The Digital Apprenticeship. I'm Stephanie Trinder and I'm the founder of The Digital Apprenticeship. I help tradies DIY their digital marketing and grow their businesses online. I do that through a whole bunch of free resources on my social media channels, my podcast and website. The Digital Apprenticeship is my handle for each of those. I also offer supplementary products and services such as website development, social media management and digital downloads too. So that's me. Thank you so much again for the opportunity. 
The Lady Startup Stories podcast is produced by Leah Porges. The executive producer is Eliza Ratliff and I'm Mia Friedman. I'll see you at ladystartup.com.au. Listener.